When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wait up, but you played this alternate version of this. You had this hip-hop version of this and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, those are, you know, when I'm home, I like to kind of mix it up and do my own renditions of a lot of different versions of different songs. So it was like, wow, you ever thought of doing a project like that? I think hip-hop will always be a void for the people. Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads, and with me I have Jake Payne, our Editor-in-Chief, and we have a very, very special guest in the Zoom room today, Lord Finesse, Master Slow. MC, Master Producer, and of course, Master DJ. How you doing, man? I'm great, man. I'm I'm great. Just uh, trying to make the best of this time. I've learned a lot about myself, discipline-wise, you know? Hmm. Where, what have you learned? Uh, you, you tend to, um, really focus on what's important in life, not just music, but in life, you know, knowing like, you know, with the the pandemic and if you're going to go out, you know, it's going to be for something important. You ain't going to just go hang out. And once you kind of get disciplined to that, once you fall into that regimen and you find yourself more home, just chilling. And if you go out somewhere, it's like, do I really want to do that? You mm. know, my my life is mailbox storing home, you know? Word, word. You know, it's interesting that you you kind of mentioned COVID. You've been one of the more active, you know, like hip-hop heroes, hip-hop legends that's been live streaming. And you were doing it in March just like you're doing it this week. You know, I just saw you post something on the gram, I think Thursday you've got going on. Um, no. I'm, I'm I'm curious, you know, you've been DJing for over 30 years. Have you realized or seen or thought that people treat music differently when you talk about learning about yourself and new values through all this? I think um um with 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 during this pandemic what I I've learned you kind of know who knows music at this point, especially DJs. Mhm. Because you get some DJs that just kind of burn out quick. Because they play a certain thing, either they repeat it or they burn out. With me, it's like, and and others, like you got like D-Nice, you got Questlove, you got Jazzy Jeff. You you got the cream of the crop on, it's like a new cable network on IG, you know? You just look at your live and go... I'm going to tune in that program a day, you know? Right. But uh, I think um, the vets know the different generations of music. So we set up different themes and and keep it going that way, you know, when it comes to music. Okay. (laughs) And uh, the, uh, the medley. Is that you, Reggie? 
Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, my computer's freaking out on me. Okay. But finesse, you know, I'm looking at you know, I'm banging you, right? You heard, you heard living proof right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, somebody's playing the medley. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I got the soundtrack on. My bad. Yeah. And I mean, that was that was my next question. Is I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the legends right there that you're certainly part of, and you know, beat miners, easy Moby, We can go on and on. But have you through all of this, through this captive audience, have you gotten a sense that people um, have, have they, has awareness grown about you and your roots in this for people simply looking for escape in a musical good time? I think definite. I mean, when it, when it comes to this whole pandemic thing and, and being on IG, people really get to study me because they more like get to see me way more than they've ever seen me. I'm like, I don't go out much. I, you know, so to be able to tune in to me on a Thursday or Saturday, and then at the same time, understand how deep my knowledge is with music or get to kind of get a feel for me as a person. Hmm. You know, it, yeah, I think, yeah, people have got to learn a great deal. Some people never knew I DJ like how I DJ. Oh, I ain't know he DJ. I just <laughs> thought he was one of those dudes that just play records. You know, I ain't know he mix. I don't know he blends. I ain't know... He does all a bunch of things on the turntables. They just thought, you know, because for the most part, I travel and tour a lot. So people in Europe know, people in Japan know more than people back home know. Because, you know, back home, I just think this is the spoiled capital. Mm. We don't appreciate it and cherish the coaching and cherish all the things that we got because we get it so much. So I think for Instagram, they're getting to feel that part that they've never seen before. You know, you're part of the legendary Digging in the Crates crew. I mean, just looking at the records behind you, like it's clear that, that that's not just a name. Like you live and breathe that. So, Yeah, I love how, you know, music. On. Yo, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, how do you go, how do you even figure out what you want to play for a set once, once, you, um, once you decide you're going to go on? Um, I like to sit and think. I like to go through my collection. I like to just think, like, you know, sometime I might play 80s. Um, sometime I, it, it just ranges, but I love music. I've, I know, like, about at least four to five different decades, generations. So for me, it's just like, you know what? Let me go to the 80s. And if anybody know 80s, the 80s is a, that's when the drum machines started kicking in. And it wasn't so much funk and drums and live instrumentation. It was still live instrumentation, but it was more drum program. It was program heavy, where they ain't use as much drums. So if I say, well, boom, let me go into that zone. And that's like more like taboo. That's like more like SOS band. That's more like uh, Bernard Wright. Uh, that's more like um, SOS band, Bernard. Uh, oh, man, this dude. That's more like D Train and, and a bunch of that stuff that I remember in the 80s, you know? That was like, um, who was I? I was about to say. Uh, I can't even say the dude's name in the song. It's 
It's right there on the on on the tip of my tongue. What's the song? But that was like Gwen Guthrie and oh, and, going on with the record, and all yeah. that type of stuff. The you know new shoes and tears for fears and you know. So for me, it's just like when I think of certain music. Music could be colors. Music could be a vibe. Music could be the years it came out. Music could be a season, like you know, you know, you would hear Evelyn Champagne King in the summertime with uh George Benson, with uh, you know, the Jacksons, the certain records can paint a summertime vibe. You know, that's how deep it goes for me, because all you gotta do is think, you know, when I was a kid, oh yeah, they was playing Taste the Honey, oh they was playing this, they was playing that. And you grab it all and you put it into a set and you play it in a way where people go, oh, man, he's taking me there. He's taking me to another planet. My bad. That's all right. Yeah, what would you say is your favorite era of music? Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) Ah, man. I think I love funk and soul, you know. It's, I would say 70s. 70s was just, 70s, I'm a 70s baby. So, Mm. you know, you think of Stevie, you think of Eddie Kendricks, you think of all that black exploitation feel stuff when you was growing up. Luther Ingram. If if loving you is wrong, you know, see, my knowledge just, if you bring up a certain time, it just goes there. It goes Al Green. It goes the spinners. It goes, it can go so deep into different, because that's how much music I, I've, I've absorbed through a lifetime. So you mentioned, you know, you just mentioned, um, you know, Eddie Kendricks and, you know, uh, Black Exploitation, Willie Hutch. There's some of the artists that you just mentioned are some of the artists that you had the opportunity to remix with Motown State of Mind. Um, you know, I'm curious, even, even ahead of talking about the project, what did, you said 70s, baby, what did Motown mean to you growing up? You know, what did it mean in, in, in your household? It was, it was either that music was being played when it was time to clean up on Saturday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> either you've seen it on television after your cartoons went off, Scooby-Doo, the Super Friends, and then you got Soul Train on. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of ended your television thing because after Soul Train, you want to go out as a kid, you know? So you got, when they was having a grown folks party, you hear Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it goes so many different ways. I mean, you always heard Stevie. Stevie was just like, man, so many levels to Stevie, you know? Definitely. Now, you know, one of the cool things that came out over the course of the last three months and it came out of left field was this project, you know, and what was so dope is to see your face on the cover. I love Motown. I'm I'm 36. So I'm an 80s baby. I grew up hearing it through my parents and also, you know, radio and all of that. But, um, you know, Motown really made this about you and your interpretation and your ear and your cast of friends. Can you kind of explain like where and how this conversation started? 
Well, it started after a, a set in um, L.A. I did this spot called the Boombox. They would have this every, like, um, Saturday. And no, it wasn't every Saturday. It's the first Saturday of the month in kind of Chinatown part of L.A., mm -hmm. the Boombox. So, you know, uh, I was talking to Andre. I, when I was out there, I was doing some work, and I ran into Andre, and then, I invited him to come down to um, the boombox. I was going to spin at the boombox, so him come check me out. I don't think he's ever, he's ever seen me at that point on turntables. So just like how people were amazed right now doing IG, that was Andre at boombox. Like, yo, mm. yo, you played this, you took this. Wait up, but you played this alternate version of this. You had this hip-hop version of this and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, those are, you know, when I'm home, I like to kind of mix it up and do my own renditions of a lot of different versions of different songs. So I was like, wow, you ever thought of doing a project like that? And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Actually do a project come out like that. Mm. And I was like, wow, wow, you, you serious? And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm dead serious. So for me, it was a challenge. It was an honor because a lot of DJs do their renditions, but here I am going to actually get to work with a label and actually get that official stamp. Yeah. You know, my it's going to come out digitally, vinyl-wise. You know, so it was definitely a challenge. It was more of a passion, pet project than actual work. Yeah, and more than just a label, I mean, really one of the most iconic record labels of all time. You know, Motown is, you know, is, is hard to think of one that is greater in terms of its legacy. So, you know, did you have added pressure touching classics by people like Marvin and Michael and, you know, all, all, the, all the, the legendary artists you work with? The, the, the pressure... The most pressurized songs that I would say that that really put a tremendous amount of pressure on me was it was really the barge, you know, because that that record is just it's a deep record. It's a record I grew off of, grew up off of in, in high school. I would hear that record, and to actually get to pull it up and hear different takes and different harmonies and vocals that wasn't in the actual song. And actually trying to come with a melody that was going to still keep you kind of hypnotized to say, you know, the groove was everything because it's like, Dad, what am I going to do? Because the original groove, it grabs you. And as soon as you think about, I like it, you automatically think of how it starts. And you know, and the, the bass line, and it's like, fuck, what did I get myself into fucking <laughs> this record? You know, literally. But I have a, a, a friend of mine, Dink, been working with Dink since the early 90s. Dink is a magician with melodies, man. So to sit there and pull up the song and strip the bass line down and, um, you know, talk with him and tell him, like, for me, with R&B, if you could predict where I'm going, 
I don't like it. Mm. I don't want you to be able to predict the melody and where it's taking you. I want that melody to be a surprise to you. And that's when, when we was going through it and he was playing the different arrangements and we was, I was telling him, I like that. Oh no, I don't, I don't like that chord right there. You know, I'm in it. Like, and then the turnaround, we need some change and turnarounds and that record changes about three times mm. from the original groove to the bridge going into the chorus and back into the, it, it, that record goes a couple of places. So to find that, that dynamic to go with, with that record, it just felt, man, when we finished, I, I listened to that record a billion times. I mean, I listened to the whole project a billion times. So for me, I'm happy everybody's excited, but they look like, you don't seem excited. I'm excited, but I heard it six billion times. So I'm kind of numb right now because I, when, I, when I first did it, all I did was listen over, 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 over again. Yeah. And I like it was just so sexy, you know, where it comes on. I sped it up, you know, the groove. I'm like, oh, this is so sexy. I can't, I can't <laughs> wait till this come out. This is, you know, this is, I just drove around with it all the time. Like in the house, just listen, listen, listen. Like, and it was mesmerizing. So it was like, yeah, I know when they hear this is, yeah. I, I got a certain thing with me. If I feel it a certain way, and and I'm behind it a thousand percent. I'm pretty pretty confident that a lot of people gonna like it. Mm-hmm. That's that DJ. That's that DJ. You've been reading crowds for years, decades. You know. Yeah. Right. So and listen to the project. Sometimes when people do remixes, the whole song is kind of lost, right? It goes completely astray. But when I listen to it, you still maintain the integrity of the song. You know, you preserve the essence, the soul of it but you still put your stamp on it, you know, um, soulful, but you know, a lot of times you would drop like a hip hop beat, subtle hip hop beat underneath it, you know, and, and, and put your thing. So what was your approach? How did you like figure out that balance? Well, the, the, the whole concept was putting these songs on a 45. I got a lot of DJ friends of mine that play clubs and they play 45s. So my thing is, if I got my hands on these records, how can I give it a feel? But more certainly, if you threw this on on a 45 during a party to keep that vibe, you know? So certain things got sped up, certain things I want to give a groove to. Like, I Want to Be Where You Are was more of the, it's a, it's a heavy drum drive. And and a solo was played in, in the middle instead of something else, you know. And it was Fender that was added to it. But that record right there, that was, I didn't want to really change that melody. That melody is what I grew up to as a kid that was just so incredible. I could have changed the melody, but I'm like, nah, I just kind of, wanted a lot of that instrumentation to cut through. Like, you'll hear it on the original, but you don't hear it cut through how I brought up certain instrumentations Mm -hmm. in that song. And then 
on the chorus, you just drop it down to the baseline. And when people, you know, because when I would DJ it in the club and it dropped down to the baseline, people, you just hear the crowd go, ooh, you know, because they just hearing the bass and the drums. So I'm like, oh, they, they kind of like that. Okay, I'm, I'm going to keep that. You know, and I kind of just played around with the sequencing of the song, but had a real drum, a drum drive to it that was funky, hip hop-ish, you know, but it's still, if you threw it on and gave it like a, a open instrumentation. So instead of it going straight into the song, let it vibe for a minute, let it breathe. Mm. So when people listening to it, oh, this is that joint. The vocals ain't even come on yet. And they just like, Yo, this feels good. Yeah. And then the vocals come on. So you got the instrumentation and then you got kind of the harmony. Like they just warming up before they get into the song with the way the harmonies is going before the song actually kicks in. So some of these edits, you know, that you were playing in the club, like, you know, like you said, in LA, that became the basis for what made the ultimate album that we all get to hear now? Somewhat. Okay. The Michael and the Marvin, yes, definite. Definitely. Um, we, but it was more, but I had to really reprogram those drums. Like, that's, no, no, none of the drums are samples. If you go to what I did and you was to break it apart, it breaks all the way down to the hi-hat. So, I had to go into scientist mode because when you take a two track, it's only but so much you could do with a two track. So to break it down the kicks and snares and put it back together again, it gives the engineer more control over the, the feel of the kicks, the snares, the hi-hat, you know? Because when you got a straight drum break, and you got to just EQ the drum break as a whole. Mm. But when you reprogram it, you can give the snare dynamic, you can round off the kicks, you can make the hi-hats as light, as bright as you want. There's so many different things you can do when you break it all up. Mm. Now, did you, um, you know, you mentioned how personal the record like DeBarge, I like it is. Did you feel when this project started to take shape that you had carte blanche, like you could have, you know, you could have gone in and Temptations, Supremes, whatever. These are the records you specifically wanted. Yeah. Um, so. What it was is they told me to pick the songs I wanted, but I picked extra songs, right? I picked extra songs because I had to make sure I, I could do what I wanted to do to certain songs. So if I felt like I couldn't pull off the magic, I had other songs that I could pull in and mess with and not feel like, damn, I, I took these seven definites and I could only mess with five. So I got to go back and ask them for another two. Like, nah, I think I picked like 13, 14 joints and picked the seven. I actually... At the end of the day, I actually did 11 remixes. Just seven was released. Mm. I was trying to get the extra four for the box set was supposed to be first. Right? Um, after the box set, it was supposed to come out on iTunes and the digital platforms. And when it came out on the digital platforms, I wanted 11 on there. 
So it's it's an incredible flaw I got that people ain't here yet. Well, you know, Marvin's got close to a million on Spotify alone, you know, the I Want You remix, which is dope. Like, it's awesome to see people playing this and receiving it as they should. And, you know, uh, you know, for nothing more than numbers, people, you know, hopefully are influenced to let those other four go and keep this, keep this alive because it's a dope tradition. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people can't miss what they didn't hear. Mm. See, I'm feeling a certain way, but, you know, yeah. they can't feel a certain way because they never heard what they missing. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, if they heard it and they go, yo, I, I thought that was going to be on there. That's something different. So maybe it'll be a part two. Who knows? Right. Well, you've remixed other songs, obviously, over the course of your career. How different is it to, re- to remix something that's more contemporary? Like, is your approach different or, do, or is it similar to what you've done with these? No, nah, I think with the team I got, man, they make it so much fun because it's, it's so organic. And you're dealing with a team of, of, of collectives that's just as passionate as you are. So, you know, I ain't have to worry about me being more passionate than everybody that was working with me. So... In my younger years, it was me more learning certain things. And I learned a lot on this. But this this time learning, you kind of know. I knew what I got as far as my team. So I wasn't really, I wasn't really that nervous. It was just how much time is it going to take me to get it right? I know I got the team to do it. But, you know, like I said, the biggest challenge was that I like it, right? But the other challenge, but this was more of a fun challenge. This was like the fun of, the fun record that I had a chance to do and pull off was Now is the Time. That was fun. It was fun because either way it went, I don't feel it wasn't no pressure, right? It was a song on the Mac soundtrack that never made the soundtrack. All all I had was what you heard in the actual Mac soundtrack. And it was very unorganized. <laughs> you know, so to take it, to lock the session up, and to bring my team in, knowing what I'm going to do to that record, because I love the record so much, and I love the energy of Sister's Love on there, Cause they when they when they was doing it in a movie, it made me kind of go wow, gave you the chills like wow. So I went and brought the Motown soundtrack, the Mac, and it wasn't on there. And I'm like, where's that song at? So to go back and ask them, and they ain't know. I'm like, yo, I want the Sisters Love, and they was like, well, <clears throat> you can't have that one. That's on A and M. That ain't on Motown. I said, yeah, but y'all did a version for Motown that just never came out. So that is kind of Motown. Yeah. And they went to the to the Mac soundtrack and found that song. And they let me get it. And I and it was real, just real rough. I mean real rough. And when I'm like, okay, I know what I'm gonna do. I had Jay Zone in the wings, I'm like, 
Joey Zone is he gonna kill this on the drums. I already know what I'm gonna do to this. And then I have my my partner, my production partner, name is Bo. He's like my brother. And I know what he's gonna do adding instrumentation. And then I kind of let me put a break on the record. I want to like experiment like how you pick up an old funk record and in the middle they let the drummer just get loose for a minute. And I yeah. wanted to bring that back. Everything in my mind, I had it planned out because I'm like, yo, Jay Zoom, could you kind of make the drum sound meterish? Mm-hmm. You know, give me that. And he tuned it. And when he made it pop that way, I'm going, oh, yeah, this is, this is going to be fun. And then I told him, yo, give me a break. So when he first did the break, shit sound like some rock shit, cymbals and crashes. And I'm like, nah, 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 you're going too crazy. Give me one of the straight patterns with some trips and rolls and, oh, you want that? I'm like, yeah, I ain't want it to be wild. I want it to be funky. So then he did it, and then my partner played like that bridge going back into the song. So when it originally started, it went into the drums, but it had the bass line and the hand claps. And I'm like, nah, I, I want it naked first. So I took the break and extended the break. And then we brought in the bass line, the hand claps and the synths. And it was magical at that point. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be. And, you know, and it was something really that collectors are going to understand. People that watch the Mac movie going to understand. A regular listener is not going to understand. They're just going to say, okay, he pulled up old sister's love song and he mixed it and it's like no drums wasn't there that break ain't there and hand claps ain't there it's a certain definitely a certain sense of pride you take when you do something magical and and it comes off the right way Mm. well something else magical you did um and one of my favorite songs on dr dre's chronic 2001 was the message you know so you talk about the pressure of you know, remixing a song by, you know, like a DeBarge or a legend like Michael Jackson. What was it like to produce a song for another producer that people, you know, regard as one of the greatest in the game? Once again, that was a field thing. I mean, that record was my record originally. And Dre happened to hear it and was like, yo, I need that for my project. Yeah. And once again, the play arrangement, that, that's not a sample. That's being played. Once again, that's Dinky on a, on a harp playing that. Playing the Chinese. So, like I said, me and Dink go back to the, to the 90s. We, we've done a lot of work together. And I trust, I mean, it's times I went in to do remixes with that dude. Ain't have an idea the first, but I know it's going to be all right. I'll figure it out, you know. That's how when you know you're that comfortable with somebody. Yeah. So to bring him to 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 reconnect with him and go and do this, I just know like I don't care who record you give me. It's like we gonna find something. It's gonna be all right, you know. That was like the attitude. So working with Dre and him taking that song, it was a, it was a dope song. It was already dope to me. I just ain't no, it was supposed to go on an album after The Awakening. Mm. And when he wanted it, it was just like, oh, shit, that's Dr. Dre. 
it's going to do more on his project than it's going to do on mine. So, hey, it wasn't it wasn't hard to let it go when you trust the person you giving it to that they're going to do the right thing with it. Even though you and I ain't hear nothing the first with, but I just know if Dre wants it, he's going to make sure it's going to be special. Mm-hmm. Did you have verses on it already too? Yeah. Oh, word. Wow. You got a lot the hook of stuff in the there. So yeah. The hook you hear was already there. Okay. It was just Crystal Johnson and Rel singing it. And then when it got to Dre, they took Crystal voice off her. It kind of kept her hook. They kept her hook and had Mary sing it and mm. kind of kept Rel part, but had Mary singing some of Rel parts. If you Google it on, um, if you look it up on YouTube, the original message, it'll come up and you'll hear it. Like everything is the same. The mm. melody, he added strings. And, you know, of course, you know, uh, you put a song to it. Yeah. yeah. Personal song at that. I, yeah. um, you know, you've, uh, even on this album, you know, the remixes are the underboss remix, um, the underboss mix. You know, I've been listening to your music for all these years, but I've never known where that nickname comes from. What's the origin story of being the underboss? Fat Joe gave me that title. Interesting. That was supposed to be the name of the album after the awakening was supposed to be called the underboss. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I always loved that title. And it was a title I was able to hide Lord Finesse behind. So when I wasn't doing the artist thing and I was doing mixes and I was doing certain things, I would just title it The Underboss. So a lot of my mixes was floating around way before this project and nobody knew The Underboss was me. <laughs> and it was funny, right? So I'll tell you a story. It was... um. It was me and Maceo from Dela at my boy house in Cali, my brother Russell. And, you know, it was like, yo, Ness, man, we got to hook up. You know, I know you got your hard drive with you. You got the music. We got to trade off. So I'm like, all right, yeah, definitely. Let's do that. So he was like, yo, man, I'm going to put you up. Put you up on these mixes, man, by this dude, the underboss, man. He got some heat. Yeah. So I was like, I'm the boss. So I just kind of smirked and he ain't no. So I let him go along. So, you know, he's like, yeah, man. So I'm like, so what underboss you joints you got? Cause I got a few too. <laughs> so he's like, he's playing them. He's telling me I got this one. And then I read off a, a, a list stuff. He never heard before. Wait a minute. How you get all this underboss stuff? I told him I am the underboss. Get, no, get the fuck out of here, Ness. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the boys. Dead ass, you know? You're talking about Russell Peters, too. You're not talking about just anybody, yeah. I'm talking about my brother Russ, yeah. <laughs> that's so, like, um, yeah, that's tight. We had a good laugh, man. And um, I gave him mixes. And then I remember him playing a party. He was playing a party with Grandmaster Flash. Once again, Flash ain't always my underboss either, you know? So he's playing these mixes. Flash comes to the booth. What the hell is that? Like, oh, these the underboss mixes, man. So, you know, you know, Maceo's messing with him. You don't know the underboss? He's like, I don't know no underboss. He's from the Bronx. Underboss is from the Bronx. 
And he was like, yeah, you know him. He just don't go by the name. He told him, that's Lord Finesse is the underboss. So get out of there right there and then. Flash calls me up. Oh, you stashing on me, Ness. How could you do this? Got these mixes. You ain't never let me hear none of these mixes. And and I'm like, yo, sure. I mean, just come to the house, man, and I'll lace you. Sure enough, a week later, I got Grandmaster Flash in the crib listening to these mixes and, you know. So the underboss, man, now the cat is out the bag. I probably I see, got another alias now. I see why you got Peter Parker and Spider-Man on your shirt, man. That's a, that's a superhero story like that. Yeah, so, yeah. so Fat Joe gave you the name. And, of course, right. you, he, Buckwild, Miguel, Diamond D, Show and AG, uh, right. all part of the legendary Digging in the Crates crew. People hear that name. And I think the first thing they think about is like Supreme MCs, right? Mm-hmm. But the name in itself like implies that that uh, you know you guys are DJ and so and digging. So is that how did y'all come together? Was it the the record and the digging that brought y'all together? Well, um, with um digging, it started with showing Diamond. That's 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 you know, and people always say. Law Finesse is the leader, or Law Finesse is the co-founder. I'm responsible for a lot of things, but that it starts with them two dudes, you know. And they started rhyming because they were supposed to do a song, and AG didn't come to the session, and therefore you got Show and Diamond. They did a record. I wish to this day I wish I had that record, man. I'm well. They rhyming off this um this this joint and they killing it like they killing it where you think they're a group and right after that you we started that was the first song you heard digging in the crates with me show diamond and ag and that's kind of started grooming into the foundation of me diamond show ag and then Diamond was working with Fat Joe on his promos for Red Alert that was being played, which one of the songs that was a promo was called Flow Joe, which wound up getting Joe a deal with Relativity. So now, you know, you got us five. Um, Buck Wow is a brother, you know, I met him during my mixtape era. I was making mixtapes. Like I said, I was DJing back then, but I was so the rap part just dominated the DJing part. You know, only the people who knew me knew me go, no, he can DJ too. Hmm. It was a couple of contests that I entered in and and actually won, you know, as a DJ because it was like, yo, he's a, he's a rapper. Uh, he going to be in this battle contest? And when they see me, it was like, oh, shit, you know, but so I met Buck Wild and Rock and Will. And we was doing mixtapes together. So when Mike Smooth wasn't traveling with me as much, I would take Buck on the road with me. And then, you know, Buck ended up learning how to uh, produce. So that's how you got Buck. And then when we was on the, we was on the Source Tour, you know, that's where he met OC and they they had a thing where it's like, yo, when this tour is over, yo, Ness, man, I'm going to work with him on this project. Yo, I want you to be a part of that. And 
that's how you got OC's word life right after the source tour. Mm. And then um, during an autograph signing and rock and will comes a young, young rapper, you know, a name of big L. And um, so since, you know, L was too cool. L sends his dude over and like, yo, my man want to rhyme for you. And I'm like, um, I'm like, yo, I'm going to give him my manager number. And, you know, because everybody was running up on me. Yo, I'm nice, I'm nice, I'm nice. And it wasn't really nice, you know. So it was just like, now you get this dude. And I'm like, okay, another one of these type people. I'm going to give you my manager number if if he like you. So, you know, he goes, you know, they talking. Then dude comes back over. Said, yo, he said, fuck that, man. He said. So he run for you, and if you don't like him, he won't ever bother you again. So I'm like, all right. So they had a setup actually in the back of Rock and Will's turntables and everything. I had a DJ cutting it. L was rhyming for me. And when he finished, I was asking for all his numbers. <laughs> you know, because I thought he was that special at that age. You know, I know at his age, I wasn't that nice. I wasn't that polished so with L I've, I've always seen an upside before anybody knew who this dude was I'm like I was championing him like from the gate mm-hmm. you know putting him on the phone with the crew like yo listen to this dude Ron. this dude is nice you know um, bringing him out on stage with me any show I had you know he knew he was getting his 10-15 minutes I remember I brought him out at the Apollo. You know, he destroyed the Apollo. I mean, I just seen something in him, even though people said he sound, he raps just like you. But I'm like, nah, he's younger. About time he hit my age, he's he's gonna be he's nice now. I don't see him going backwards. I only see him progressing. And I think I think the Sony deal pushed him to be greater. Mm. Like, not in, like, because when he was on Sony, you know, he was good, got the four mics in the source, and that was great. But I think, you know, when when Nas came about, Elmatic, the focus went straight on Nas, because Nas had the superhero lineup. When you're saying Premier, Pete, Lost Professor, Q-Tip, all in a prime. You know, he had the superstar producer lineup. So the light immediately shifted to Nas. Mm-hmm. And they kind of just let L fall to the wayside. You know, after the album was done, you know, the person who signed L was no longer there. Hey, man, we're going to let you go. Do whatever you do. And I think that that pushed him to be greater. You know, especially around the time they let him go, we was all doing independent records. So then he created flamboyant records. Now he's in a world where I'm going to do the records I want to do now. And Ebonics was the first record. Mm-hmm. And it was it was on from there. It was, it was on. Mm-hmm. So he recreated, he reinvented himself in, in a way where haven't seen a rapper do that since. Not at that level. Yeah. 
You know, you guys, um, you know, back in the 90s, I know you were part of the whole D&D Studios movement, which was, you know, legendary. And recently, you know, in recent years, you know, Premiere went on and, and created the new headquarters in Queens. And, and you guys have DIT, DITC Studios. How important is it for you? I know we're living in a virtual age, even as we're talking, but how important has it been for you and your brothers to have a place to create every day, if you so choose? Well, I think DITC Studios is a magical place. Shit is like a museum. And shit is like, the, what's that? What's where the Super Friends is at? The, <laughs> the, the Hall of Justice? Or, yeah, Hall of Justice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like, that's like DITC Studios because you don't never know what superhero going to be in there when you go in there, you know? But um, for the most part, it's, it's, it's a special place, you know? It's low-key. A lot of people come through, you know? But now it's more cut off to public because before it was open to the public, now it's like, nah, it's, it's selected now, you know? So for people to get in there now, then it's just a different vibe now, you know. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great place, you know. It's definitely an incredible place. I mean, that that uns- about, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, you talked about how the Sony deal made Big L better, but I gotta imagine also that um, you guys being around each other, you know, so many supremely talented people and so many different capacities right like you know a lot of y'all were double and even even triple threats so how did you guys just being around each other make each other better i mean by the records that came out by the production i mean that time in the 90s was just all around magical i mean we were a magical team but that era was magical when you got wu-tang and you got biggie and you got everything that's going on in the 90s besides us it, it pushed everybody to be great. You know, you couldn't put out nothing trash. You know, you got Tribe, you got Gangstar. You you can't put out trash in that era. That era, the bar was just, the era set the bar. You know, so, but I think being around each other, definitely, you know, I've learned a lot from show from on a production note. Always say that, that's, Without show, I don't think I've been producing if it wasn't for show. Maybe I would have. And maybe the learning curve would have been a little longer. But watching him do what he did on the 1200, and then, you know, when you know, a person go out the room, or you go, yeah, try it out. You tapping on the machine. You go, I think I could do this. You know, and I get me a 1200 and 950. But, you know... I mean that 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 era was everything. You got look, runaway slaves, stunts, blunts, and hip hop, word life, mm. lifestyles of the porn, dangerous. Represent, yeah, yeah. That that like you surrounded by greatness. You know, League of Extraordinaires is my favorite title for my team because. And and I always say it, and it's not to to downplay any other group or any other team, but there was no team like DITC, period, with great producers and great rappers, yeah, and all classic in their own right. 
we just reeled out like four or five classics just like that, right? You know, um, and they all did. You know, I think about it, they all came out within like, you know, two or three years of one another. So you think you guys get enough credit as a crew? Like, you know, as, yeah. No. No. I mean, because you got to think, it's not even just, I'm I'm naming the albums we personally did. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go into show with Sound of the Police and Just a Friend and and the stuff he did. You go on the Diamond doing a title track for the Fugees, the yeah. score, the work he did with Buster, the work he did with Outkast. You go into Buck Wild, like got the master discography. <laughs> Whoa. Story to tell. Master I see. Mm. Um, I did Suicidal Thoughts. Come on. Dr. Dre's The Message. At one point, it wasn't an album we wasn't touching. You know, so no, I don't think we get enough credit, but I, I'm I, I'm always a point where you know, I'm just I just like to keep working. I don't like to I think when you get so caught up on credits and worrying, you just sound defeated, you know? Like your best years were that. And yo man, they don't give me no credit back in the days. I did this and then we did this and we don't get no credit. It just sounds defeated. Mm. And I don't I don't ever want to sound defeated. You know, I still feel like my best years, I just feel right now is like a dangerous time on all levels, whether you want to talk DJ, whether you want to talk rapping, whatever you want to talk, I still feel like I'm I'm there. Like I just said in another interview, I don't like that title old school. Don't don't put that shit on me. Like that's putting a hex on me or something. Like old school means you out of touch. Hmm. Means you have nothing left in the tank. Means you just a rap. That's how I look at old school. Now, if a, a person from my era says old school, I know it's in term of endearment, meaning we were in the trenches together. We're from the old school. Our way, our standards, our morals, our principles are old school. I get that part. Younger person said, fucking old heads, man, old <laughs> school. You know, it has a whole different spin on it. And and until I do something horribly whack, until I do something that they go, God damn, that shit. I don't even know how you put that shit out. Fucking over for him. You could call me old school at that point. When two ladies helping me go up on stage to accept a fucking award or something, <laughs> then you could call me old school. Yeah. But right now, nah, don't don't put that title on me. I'm not trying to hear that title. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I think part of how you've kept yourself relevant is that you've continued to showcase different aspects of your talents throughout your career. You know, um, I knew you first as an MC. You know, right. uh, you know, um, you know funky technician you know that that was my era of like that's when i grew up on hip-hop you know from like you know houdini and run dmc and curtis blow all the way on up you know what i mean so i knew you first as an mc and then i knew you as a producer and it wasn't until later that i i even realized you know your dj skills you know um but have you ever thought about showcasing the mc part again because that part you haven't done in, in a while yeah, I'm, 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 I'm working out to get back in that zone, you know, 
And when I say working out, because that's the zone. And it, it has nothing to do with today's artists or, you know, because that can't get me in a zone. Back in the days, that would get me in a zone. Like if you heard, like, a Jay-Z record or you heard The Locks or you heard, like, Beanie or you heard these incredible artists and go, okay, I got to put some shit together. Now it's kind of just different where I hear certain things and go, I can't listen to that. That throws my whole, throws the mood off Mm. because it's not substance driven. I'm challenged by substance. I'm challenged by wit. When people do some witty shit and go, oh shit, okay, I got to get my shit together. Now I got to get my shit together because I'm not hearing it, you know? It's like I got a, a line in my, in my, and one of the new things I was writing saying I, I feel like Sanford and son, the way I'm surrounded by trash, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, so my way of thinking right now, for me to do a record, I got to ask myself why, you know? And it can't be like, you still got to show people you nice. No, I don't. I don't, I don't look at it like that. I don't, that don't drive me, you know? To me, what drives me is me. Can you top what you did before? Where can you go with it? Because when you're creative, you're looking at doing something different. That's what DITC is, is a bunch of creatives. We don't look around and go, oh, that's in style? Oh, we got to do something like that. No. We look at, damn, okay, what are people not doing? Mm. You know, what's the lame people just totally forgot about? And to me, when I look at uh, creating a record now, it's why. That's number one, why. What you going to do with this record that's important where you got to record it? It's no more, I'm dope, I can rhyme over, drop some rhymes over some beats. Nah, that, that shit, I did that already. It has to be another another magnitude I'm going to right now. And it is. It's, it's that... I feel I haven't dropped an album in over 20 years. That's the challenge. From a a technical music standpoint, oh, shit, I'm on top of the world. Mm. I feel undefeated. I'm going to top musically. I could top wherever I did before. Lyrically, now it's like, where do you go from here now? You did Funky Technician, Return of Funky Man. Or braggadocious driven, 50 now, you know, which is a challenge. I look at Quincy Jones. He did Thriller when he was 50. So that's the bar I'm looking at. Okay, what can I do creating great like that? And to for me, that's the joy of me doing it. If I come in the game and I do this prolific project after 20 years, come in, destroy shit, just disappear again like that mm. you know that's my challenge but from a from a, a a concept standpoint it's more jewel driven it's dropping jewels without teaching i don't want to sound preachy 
don't do drugs, don't do this, don't do that. Nah, I gotta be with that finesse flair, what I, the, the way I've been tackling certain things. And that's a challenge because the bar is against myself. It ain't against other artists. That bar is too easy because most artists aren't really saying nothing conscious or driven. So it's just like, okay, what can I do to top what I've done already? The concepts. You know, I got my friends, they throw concepts at me, but it got to be prolific concepts that make you go, oh, shit, I ain't think of that. Because that's where we've been doing. Everything Diggin was doing was shit. Oh, we ain't think of that. It came with that. You know, and that's where I'm at with it, especially from a music standpoint. We're in such in a recycle zone. Everybody want to recycle, recycle, recycle. Remember this hit? Let's do this hit over. Remember this? Let's do that over. I don't want to do nothing over. I just want to kind of, you know, evolve what I've done before. I want to show you the magnitude of my production and the magnitude of my rapping. And I look at other artists that rap and produce I don't, I don't feel threatened in no type of way because what they do is what they do. But I'm one of the first, I won't say one of, I won't, because it, it was a lot of dudes producing and rapping when you look at Lars Professor, when you look at Q-Tip, one of the unsung heroes people don't talk about a lot, even Grant Puber, was all dudes that produce and rap. Diamond, you know? I just look at it right now as like taking everything I know now and applying it. Showing growth is the the most the most important thing to me. Because mm-hmm. if I'm not coming back showing how I've grown, then it's no sense for me to even drop. Yeah. You mentioned but, oh go ahead. Go ahead, Jake. You uh finesse, you mentioned, you know, the flair and the wit. And your style to me is is one of my favorites. Like you always had substance, you always have substance, but you can stop and make the listener laugh. Um, and, and that was certainly true of Big L and that was true of Kane and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, was there ever part of you, like first of all, you know, were you a class clown growing up or when you hang with Russell Peters, are you just a naturally funny person? Um, tell me a little bit more about that, that aspect of your writing. Oh man, that's where it all the, came from, man was being funny, was snapping. Eddie Murphy, incredible influence growing up. Eddie did wonders for my career. Because hmm. Eddie was just the ultimate funny guy to me, man. You know, now, if I'm going to pull from somebody in that, it would have to be Dave Chappelle. Remarkable. Yeah. Crazy. Because he drops so many jewels and just does it in a way just just easy. Well, there's still a message too, you know. There's... It's a deep message. Yeah. So for me, it's it's kind of like the same way. I want to be able to touch people, you know. And I got that. What made me a jewel that 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 kind of got my mind spinning is the Tupac Biggie debate. You know? That's what kind of 
got my 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 vision is because you got Tupac and you got Biggie. And they always say, well, who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the best? And, you know, I work with Biggie. You know, I know lyrically how talented Biggie is. So, you know, I would always say Biggie, you know, Biggie, Biggie. And then you watch the debate go on in the barbershop or wherever, and that debate go on, and Pac fans get upset. You know, they want to fight and shit. <laughs> you talk about Pac, punch you in your motherfucking face. You talk about, no, Pac is great, you know, and then it's like, wow, you know. So, with that being said, it was just like his music touched people in such a way that they willing to punch you in your face now. Now I'm going, oh, that's deep. So I look at if your music can touch people and make them champion you when you're long gone, that's what I'm looking to do right now. I have to do something that's going to make people champion me when I'm long gone. And it's not just the lyrics and the punchlines but everything that follows behind it, you know, whether it's the production, whether it's showing who I am in a total thousand percent focus, Val, I'm all this. And when I'm gone, you're going to have to find somebody to compare that can do everything I do, you know, and I have to leave my, my legacy intact. That's another, I'm not into just doing things just to do them gotta have a purpose and for me to do an album that I'm thinking about and not only just rap wise I got all types of things I want to do just to show people my range I think people don't understand my range ear wise musically I don't just want to be fucking boom bap like I there's nothing wrong with boom bap but don't tell me that's all I can do right mm. you know so that's what was a challenge with the Motown project. You know, I got a, a live album I want to do, right? With producers, singers, and musicians. And it's called Soul Synopsis, Adventures in Music. And it's going to be, I want live musicians. And I'm going to show people my Quincy Jones hand at that point. Where I'm going to, I'm going to do some shit where people going to go, wait up, he... He did that? You know, like, I want to show people I'm old enough now where the only person I'm trying to impress is me. I'm not... I'm hard enough to impress. So if I impress me, you know, I'm quite sure other people will like it because I'm, I'm the worst. I play some shit. I don't like it. You won't never hear it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people hear it I might be in here one day and they happen to come in. What? What's that? And I go, something that just I ain't wasn't feeling. And and a lot of those records, people go, let me get that. Mm. And then when they come out, people go, yo, Ness, you did that. And it's like, y'all like that? You know, like, you have to forcibly pull something for me that I don't like. Mm. Because I don't ever want to do music and it comes out, and because I'm, I'm my own worst critic. So if I'm doing something and I'm not impressed, then I really don't want to let it out. Because if you don't like it, then 
my inside, me talking to me, nigga, you knew that shit wasn't hot anyway. Why you play that shit anyway? You got better shit. That's how I look at music when it comes from me. I just don't want you to like it because it's me and you're supposed to like everything. Nah, I'm I'm hard on myself. So when it comes out, I stand behind my brand a million percent. But if I don't like it a million percent when I'm doing it, I don't want nobody else to hear it. Like I said, you'll have to, an artist will have to come in here, play me all your shit. That's what they're going to have to do. Play me everything. Because I know you got some shit you probably just don't like, and it's incredible. So play me everything. And they come in here, and yo, I'd be some shit I probably did in 2003, 2004. That shit incredible. Why you ain't? Yo, man, I'm taking the shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah. You mentioned Quincy doing it at 50. Um, and you're at that age now. If you could work with any artist in the world, who would you make it Michael Jackson right now? Damn. Any artist? Any artist. Mm. Oh, man. That's it's a couple. It's a couple. Just because of my appreciation, like my way of thinking isn't the average way. Shit, I'm I'm gonna go find Slick Rick. I'm I'm gonna work with Slick, trust me. Mm. You know, not maybe maybe not do a whole project with him, but shit, man, get pick one of those stories from the eighties that you the record you probably think wasn't it, and let me flip that, you mm. know? Like, I'm that type of person, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it's so many great artists, man. I would definitely say Black Thought. Mm-hmm. Definitely Black Thought. Mm-hmm. I actually oh, wanted to do a record with Black Thought and Jay. Look, man, my lineup be have to be Black Thought, Jay Electronic, and Pharaoh. Yeah. Wow. Take my money. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm in. Because I really admire these dudes, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of artists just be too proud to say I admire anybody. Nah, (laughs) I admire those dudes. Told Jay Electronica that when I I first met him. You know, Farrell's like my brother, man. And Thought, you know, Thought, we always chop it up, man. Only thing with Thought, Thought can't do fucking 400 bars. You don't have to give me a top fucking serious 2024, man, because you let Thought go on, man. Yeah. Thought, man. Thought just take over the whole fucking record. <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah, when I when I think of artists, those are artists to me. You know what I'm saying? Pure artists. Mm. Like, people don't understand there's rappers and there's artists. And artists bring out the best because sometimes you might have doubts on certain things like production you know they'll come in here and I play something and they'll go you don't like that and go, eh, that's cool and they'll make a masterpiece out of it and make you like it mm. oh shit I slept on that that's what artists do you know this this generation is different. 
they always want to fucking look around and see what else everybody else is doing. You know, and, and my analogy is if you give us a portrait and the shit is blank and, you know, we're going to ask you for some special colors. Let me get burgundy. Let me get raw blue. Let me get this. Let me get a little orange. And they start just painting away. I ever just create this masterpiece. Oh, shit. You know, this era is more like, all right, what are they painting over there? Oh, what is he painting? Oh, fuck it. I don't need a portrait. Give me tracing paper. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I, I like people that, the risk takers. You know, risk comes with some shit, man. You're either going to like it, you're going to love it, or you're going to hate it. You know? and and But you admire the risk takers. I can't admire people that want to copy. I don't. I can't pull nothing from creatives. Well, they're not creatives. They're copies. You know, creatives is the one that sees shit that you don't see. The copiers look around and go, okay, I got to do something like that, or I need 100 million features. You get lost in the features. That's why people don't know half these artists, because there's so much features, so much shit going on. They don't know who you are. They don't know who you are standing alone by yourself. Can't do no show. Your last album had 10 features. So unless you bring all the 10 features, you can't really do no show. Mm. I like artists that can come on and jump on stage and do a, do a whole list of shit that they did by themselves. Karis one, man. If you're, if you're a hip hop person, and I ain't never see a KRS-One show, please do see one of those. You'll get everything I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so Funky Technician turned 30 years old a little earlier this year, and you talked about DJ Premier and, you know, being one of those kind of all-star producers on Nas's album. But he talks about the importance of being a co-producer on your album and how that helped propel his career. So can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, man, man. Premier's, that's the big brother right there, man. By far, you know, I call him the greatest hip-hop producer. I'll debate anybody, you know. Um, loves, he he loves what he does, man. He's, he's a person that I take, I took several pages out of his book, you know. And we, he'll come here and we'll build on music. It's still a big brother relationship. It's just more knowledge now. My knowledge of music is, he will tell you, my knowledge is of music and artists and breaks. And, man, we have some great talks, you know, because we love music. But so important to my whole career, man. Um him picking me up from my grandmother's crib, you know, him taking me to sessions, him overseeing. Premier was, he should have been executive producer of Funky Technician because he overseen the project. I mean, I think Stu took all the credit. Stu wasn't really in the sessions, you know. Stu money paid for it, but Premier is what made that project as tight as what it was because he took pride in being there. 
you know, sometimes it was just me and him. I mean, even when Diamond and Show came in and, and laid their stuff, even when they wasn't there, he was still there to make sure they stuff sounded sonically the way it sounded, you know? So, man, Premier knows, man, without Premier, I don't know what funky technician would have sounded like. Interesting. You guys, um, you know, you were talking about new artists and you and Premier and Show and I think maybe Buck, you guys all came together last year for an artist that excited you, David Bars. Right. And I'm I'm just curious, you know, um that's that's like an illmatic lineup of itself of producers. What was it about David? I know I believe he's from the Bronx, but that got that's all of you guys to put that stamp on him because the other times you've used that stamp are some of those artists you've mentioned tonight, you know, L, Joe, OC, right. someone, you know. I think David Barr's show worked with him for for a long time. You know, people hear him and just go, oh, he came out the blue. Nah, show worked with Dave for so long. And when I finally heard him, I was like, yo, I like this dude, you know. Um... Yeah, David is special, you know. He's special enough where if if I like an artist, I'll definitely I'll definitely put my put my put my work behind him in a, in a heartbeat. And and David was that, you know. If you listen to him, you listen to his flow. Definitely he's from the Bronx and you know, we need we at this time the Bronx, you know. We got our group, though. I can't, I can't say, you know, with David Bars and, and Love My Son and God yeah. bless, you know, Fred God's son, you know. Fred was special, man. Um, and I'm mad because we've talked a couple of times about working together, and I definitely wanted to work with him, but I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm like a bad spell. <laughs> like I, I just got to find time for the most part. But it was talked about, so you got, you know, oh, how can we forget Corey Guns, man? Corey is special. Mm. And, you know, and, you know, I was talking to Corey recently. Show's working with Corey right now. So, um, yeah, to me, it's, it's artists, man. Like I said, it's artists, not rappers. It's artists that make me go, I like him. And God bless, we lost a, a artist by the name of Ty Shane. I think Ty Shane would have been Ty Shane, man. That dude, man. That dude. If you ever look him up, yeah. Ty Shane was from the Bronx, and to me, he was he was a star. He was a star. Like you know, you meet artists and you look at them. And you you hear them, the presence, the performance, and you go, that's the star right there, you know. Well, I um I always tell people one of the best top three hip hop shows of my life was one of your birthday parties. I think it was two thousand and three, but like it was it was oh, SOBs yeah. every yeah two thousand and four. I think it was. That's the one. That's the one. But it was that was my rock the bells. That was that was uh it. So. I am so happy that Motown State of Mind is out. I'm happy that, you know, the uh, I Want You remix, the Underboss remix is doing so well. You've given us new music this year. And 
uh, based on what you told Reggie and I, um, it's only the beginning of a lot of good stuff coming yeah, out. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll sneak, I'll sneak something in here on you. I'm, I'm right by my computer. Okay. Let me see what I could sneak in here on y'all. That uh, I mean uh. Wait, I'll, I'll sneak two on y'all in here, right? Okay. okay. I just got to find where this stuff is at. Okay, cool, right? So let's go with this right here, right? This is um the DeBars, the other DeBars joint. I can see why that's dope. Oh, I need that hook there. Wow. <laughs> crazy. Yo, Motown, listen up, man. Wow. Uh, okay. And this is Jay Zone, right? He replayed the drums throughout this whole track. Let you check it out. 
Shout out to Jay Zone too. That's Word. another multi thread. Wow. It's crazy. Man, we 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 going like I said, man, we got a lot of things in store. You know, like I said, working on this project, it was just so much fun. It gave me a lot of different ideas and a lot of different zones to go in and shit, man. I just was working on a western piece in here, man, that that's just it's just crazy, man. Like my ear and range and, and my team, oh, man, I'm, I just think I'm warming up, man. I don't think, you know, but I said with the rapping, I just have to find where I want to go with that. Musically, I don't, I don't worry about that. You're going to like Next Level Nostalgia. Next Level Nostalgia is me. That's probably the next, that's the next project I'm actually rapping on before a full project is like uh, me rapping on SB 1200 and 900, 950 beats. Oh, wow. And because um, I got beats and stuff I'm doing here. And it's a nostalgia project, you know. Just in time for what? Next year is the 25th anniversary of the Awakening? Yeah. 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 That's so I got tall. I'm working with, who I'm working with on that. I know Tall Black Guy gave me a mean remix. Okay. Um, I'm working with Knots. I'm working with um, Jake One. So that's like the next project. Next Level Nostalgia. Uh, Hip to the Game remix. Um, SB1200 Part 2. Nah, I'm just working. This is going to be a work-filled summer for me. So ain't nothing to do. It ain't like I'm going anywhere. Like, you know. <laughs> Ain't no no gigs. I'm can't go to Europe, so I'm gonna be locked in here just working this this summer. You know, so, man. Well, the hip hop heads benefit big time. Yeah, man. Yo, the music, man, is incredible. Um, the project is Lord Finesse presents Motown State of Mind. We just got a sneak preview of part two. Uh, <laughs> we need if that. If we get to do part two, you know, that part two. Yeah, we need that part two for real. But, uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure. You know, thank you. 
Thank you. Oh man, thanks. You know, thanks for for this interview. You know, yeah. thanks for for putting the word out. You know. No doubt. Always, man. Thank you for all that you do for the culture, man. We really appreciate you. All right. Uh, thanks, man. All right, man. We'll talk again when when the next project comes. All, all right. right. It's all a right. deal. All right. Peace. Definitely. Peace.